Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my esteemed host, with us today. And between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. So we're always about giving you tips and uh, tools to tune in to tune up your top performance. And so have you ever wondered about the power of your words? Well, today we're going to be talking with Dr. Andrew Newberg, and he has a fascinating book uh, called Words Can Change Your Brain. So that's going to be the focus of our of our talk today about our communication and what we can do to uh, be better at it and what we can learn about communication looking at some of the brain neuroscience. Let me give you some input about Dr. Newberg. So Andrew Newberg is an MD. He's currently the director of research at the Myrna Brind Center for Integrative Medicine, and that's at the Thomas Jefferson University and Hospital in Philadelphia. He's also a professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine and Radiology at Thomas Jefferson University and an adjunct professor uh, at the University of Pennsylvania in the Department of Psychology. A couple other things just about uh, Dr. Newberg. He's published over 200 peer-reviewed articles and chapters on brain function, brain imaging, the study of religious and mystical experiences. He's author of a new book, that's called How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, The New Science of Transformation. The book we're going to be talking about uh, <clears throat> today, uh, How Words Can Change Your Brain, some of the other books, How God Changes Your Brain, Why God Won't Go Away. And as the co-author of Words Can Change Your Brain with Mark Robert Waldman, um, we're going to be digging into that. And he's also the uh, author of several academic books and has produced a 24-lecture video program entitled The Spiritual Brain. So let me uh, bring on Kathy. Let me say a word about Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and then Kathy will, will bring you on. So, Kathy, you want to just say hi, and then I'll give you a little intro here? Well, I'm only going to say hi if I can intro you first. How about Okay. <laughs> All right, you know, we're flexible. Go ahead. <laughs> we're going to be semper flexi, right? Yes. <laughs> semper flexi. Um, I just want to make sure that everybody uh, knows who it is that's bringing uh, this fantastic show to light uh, as as my esteemed partner, but uh, also uh, as someone who uh, has a lot of experience. Uh, in fields that relate to what Dr. Andrew Newberg is going to talk about today, and I'm I'm delighted to have two colleagues and well-respected friends on the show. But uh, just to get started, I want to make sure that everybody also knows about you, Relly, and just to say a few things. Uh, you know, most of us um, take for granted that there are so many, so many professional coaches out there today. But um, I really want to say that there are some very special coaches that I have had the privilege of not only working with but learning from, and Dr. Relly Nadler is one of those very special people. Uh, if you don't know Relly, 
he's not only a very special person, but he's a master level certified executive coach, a psychologist, a corporate leadership and team trainer. And of course, Relly brings his legendary expertise in emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and development programs. And uh, Dr. Nadler's newest top-ranked book, Leading with Emotional Intelligence, provides hundreds of tools and strategies and tips to develop yourself as well as star performers around you across industries. You can visit him at truenorthleadership.com. That's all one word, truenorthleadership.com. You can get a lot of free downloads to access your best performance using emotional intelligence, and you can get his free iApp called Leadership Keys. You just go to the iTunes store, and you can download it there. Again, it's called Leadership Keys. So today, Relly and I are going to talk to Dr. Andrew Newberg, and uh, Relly always makes uh, the uh, EI Central Interest Group an opportunity to learn and gain access to the latest thinking on emotional intelligence. So you'll be able to receive this recording, not only if you download it from iTunes, but if you go to Relly's EI Central Interest Group. He also has a popular blog on psychology today, and he has over on her, it's amazing, over 130,000 reads. It's probably over 200,000 reads by now, but we'll just stick with a safe number. But um, you can really get a lot of EQ and EI resources for free at EI Central. Just text EI Central, C-E-N-T-R-A-L, to 38470. Let me give you that again. Text to EI Central to 38470 or visit him at truenorthleadership.com. So, Relly, there we go. I've made it Thank you. known to everyone how much I love you, revere you, and I'm so excited to have you and Dr. Newberg with us today. Oh, that's great. Well, thank, I appreciate that, Kathy. Let me just say a quick words about you, and then we're going to jump into the show with Dr. Newberg. Yeah. Um, so for folks who don't know Kathy, Kathy, uh, aside from being a, you know, a wonderful person, Kathy and I have been doing this show now for nine years, and we have listeners in 27 countries uh, and uh, 126 different cities. And only in just the last four years, we have about a million downloads. So it's more than that. But in the last four years, we have a million downloads. Like Kathy mentioned, you can go to Voice America or on iTunes and get it. So Kathy has been named the First Lady of Happiness by ABC TV. She has uh, authored multiple popular books on the science of happiness, including her New York Times bestseller, What Happy Working Mothers Know. She touches millions you know, as an in-demand speaker, TV, radio, and media personality. She's the founder of four different consultancies, three different leadership uh, institutes. Kathy has an iApp that you can see her glowing face um, called Your Happiness Now. And so you go to um, your app store and you can type in Your Happiness Now and you see it. And it's also available at the iTunes store. And then she also has a number one best-selling book based on her work with the Special Forces. So she has given so much to our service people. Her book is called Fearless, Fearless Leaders, Sharpen Your Focus, and that's also available on Amazon. If you want to find out more about that and some of the working warriors who that she works with, you can take a quiz at her website called fearlessleadersquiz.com to make a uh, to take free leadership quiz, and then you can also receive some free downloads. So, Kathy, tell us a little bit about 
you know, Dr. Newberg and, uh, and how you met him, and, uh, and then we'll, we've got a series of questions that we want to tap into. You bet. I, I am so blessed in this lifetime to work with some very special individuals who are leaders, thought leaders in their industry, but who are some of the most unbelievably giving, compassionate human beings, not only in science, but in their industry of serving others through medicine. And um, one of those individuals is Dr. Daniel Monti, who is a recipient of many, many awards and and many gifts, uh, and he is an endowed chair at the... um, at the university uh, that is shared uh, with Dr. Newberg, uh, Jefferson University in the hospital in Philadelphia. So that's an amazing organization. And I was, I was gratified to not only meet with Dr. Monty and his colleague, Dr. Anthony Bazan, but in our research on emotional intelligence in our work collaboratively, uh, Dr. Monty introduced me to Dr. Andrew Newberg, uh, as you know, who is the director of research at the Myrna Brin Center of Integrative Medicine at, at Thomas Jefferson University in the hospital in Philadelphia. And um, as a result of that relationship with Dr. Monty, I am honored and privileged to have Dr. Newberg lead us in, an, uh, if you will, a book, an edited volume, and I'm sure he'll talk about it during the program, uh, about the brain and studies related to happiness, resilience, and well-being in general. And we are so excited to have him today on the show. And I am so mesmerized by Dr. Newberg's involvement in the study of mystical and religious experiences. And the reason is, as you know, Rally, I recently went to the canonization of Mother Teresa right. in Rome with our, our wonderful chaplain, Monsignor Michael Mannion, who worked with Mother Teresa for almost 28 years, and it was an amazing, life-changing experience. Mm. So I hope today we're going to have a wonderful, life-changing experience through Words Can Change Your Brain. Welcome to the show, Dr. Newberg. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Um, so, Dr. Newberg, we got some questions for you. I just want to say, uh, as we move into it, you know, you've also presented some of the, the scientific religious uh, at religious meetings throughout the world. You've been on Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, Nightline, 2020, CNN, ABC, World News Tonight. So we're really um, very excited and privileged to have you. So one of the questions that we ask folks to start off with is who's been some of your key influences or leaders that have helped make you who you are today? Well, I think, you know, uh, as you go through your education, there are always those couple of people who become your mentors. And I, I suppose that um, the two people that were the most influential in my life on a very personal note, uh, one of them was a, a doctor, Abbas Alavi, who's a world-renowned uh, uh, imaging person. And uh, he is somebody who I started working with about 25 uh, years ago and uh, really taught me what I needed to know about imaging and how we can look at the body and the brain in particular. Um, so he was incredibly influential in, in just who I became in my career and so forth. Um, the other person who had a, a tremendous influence and, and really allowed me to go in the direction of trying to explore the relationship between the brain and our religious and spiritual selves was a psychiatrist by the name of Eugene DeQuilly who uh, we co-authored a number of articles and books together, but uh, he was just a, 
uh, a tremendous person who had a great breadth of knowledge. He was a psychiatrist. He had a doctorate in anthropology, spoke about five different languages, knew pretty much everything you wanted to know about the world. And, uh, and I think those two people uh, in particular just had a tremendous influence uh, on me. And uh, as Kathy mentioned in the, in, in the introduction, I suppose the other person more recently has been Dr. Monty, uh, Daniel Monty, who is our director of our center here in integrative medicine, and I've been very fortunate to be able to work with him over the last uh, eight to ten years and uh, a couple times doing research projects, and now ultimately over the last uh, six or seven years actually coming here to Thomas Jefferson to be able to work with him and to be able to uh, share ideas and explore uh, new, new domains and new, new areas of research. Uh, it has been extraordinarily exciting to us to be able to work together and to continue to develop this whole area, this whole field of trying to understand the relationship between our body, our brain, uh, our mind, our health, and uh, and ultimately our spirituality, and uh, trying to figure out ways of, of helping people to put all those different parts of ourselves together in the most healthful way, in a way that ultimately benefits everyone. And that, so I, I suppose that those would be the people, um, at least closest to me, who have had a, a tremendous impact on my own life. As you think about your experiences as a medical professional. Can you tell us how you came to to marry this study of the brain and the, the hard science and that which we call mystical and religious or spiritual? And it's called neurotheology. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, yes. That's uh, the name that has been applied to the field now, neurotheology, is a that field that links together what we can know about the human brain and what we can know about our religious and spiritual selves. And I would suppose that, that a lot of this actually arose long before I got into medicine as a career. Going back to when I was a child, I was very, I always had a lot of questions. I was always asking about why there were different religions. How do we know, you know which one would, might be right or wrong, or how do they compare to each other? I, I was curious about why we have different political beliefs, of course, uh, very appropriate for what's coming tomorrow, um, different moral beliefs, and, and how we can all be looking at essentially the same world and coming away with very different kinds of conclusions. And as I thought about that as a, as a basic question, I realized that certainly it had a lot to do with the human brain, how our brain uh, helps us to see the world around us and make and give us ideas about the world and helps us to construct our, our perspective on what the world is. And so I, I certainly pursued a lot of science in that regard in trying to understand the human brain, the human mind, and psyche, and how that helps us to create our sense of reality. But I also realized that there was this other piece to it, this is the less tangible piece, our, our mind, our consciousness, uh, our spirit, that didn't seem to be easily evaluated, at least by science. And, and I, I continued to explore these questions on a very personal level as well. And in college, I was taking courses in philosophy and uh, psycho psychology and comparative religions and so forth. Uh, and, and all of this really did finally come to uh, a whole head when I was uh, in medical school, where I, in a particular year where I was doing what they referred to as a year out, where I was trying to explore some, some of my basic ideas about what I wanted my career to be, I ultimately came to work with those two gentlemen that I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, one person who uh, really gave me the background in imaging to look at the brain in a variety of different neurological and psychiatric disorders, and uh, the other individual, Jean, uh, Eugene DeQuilly, who 
was always exploring the same kinds of questions about the nature of our spiritual and religious selves and how we come to understand reality. And it was within that whole working together with these individuals, we uh, came to realize the idea that perhaps, you know, if I can scan somebody's brain when they have Alzheimer's or if they have depression, I can also scan their brain when they're meditating or praying or, or feeling something religious or spiritual. And that's what really put the whole picture together. And we started to do this research about 20 years ago uh, and continue to, to do all kinds of studies. We've scanned probably 250 or more people's brains doing all different kinds of practices, meditation, prayer, and so forth. Uh, and, and ultimately, though, still pursuing that philosophical piece as well. I, I sometimes refer to this as my own philosophical meditations and just thinking about these questions and trying to understand um, how we can put together all of the different perspectives that we have on our world and try to help us to find a better answer to those big questions about how we understand the nature of reality and how we can use that information in a beneficial way for human beings on both an individual as well as a global level. And you know what, Dr. Newberg, we're very, very interested in hearing more about that, especially the 150 brains. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. 
For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. So today we're talking with Dr. Uh, Andrew Newberg, who wrote a book with Mark Robert Waldman, Words can change your brain. So we're going to kind of zero in on that. Um, and what's really exciting about this book, he has 12 conversation strategies that will help build trust, resolve conflict, and increase uh, intimacy. And so a lot of it is really based on what he was just talking about, the neuroscience of communication. And maybe just say a few words, uh, Dr. Newberg, about kind of you know, how this book came about. And then we want to basically go through some of these key strategies. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, this arose out of kind of the natural extension of the research that I had been doing. You know, when we started to look at religious and spiritual practices like meditation and so forth, um, part of what we notice is that they affect how people communicate with each other as well. And, of course, a lot of times various practices like meditation or prayer involve language and how people think uh, using language and how people ultimately interact with language. So we started to explore this in more detail and, and, and kind of like the neurotheology piece where we start to use the neuroscience as a way of helping us to understand ourselves in, in, in neurotheology, our spiritual selves. Um, could we use neuroscience as a way to help us to understand how we communicate with other people? Can we use information and data that comes from neuroscience to help us improve the way we communicate with other people? And can we ultimately put all of that together into some sort of comprehensive approach that might be very useful, whether a person is in business or in medicine, whatever field that we're in, we're always communicating with other people. And if we can figure out the most effective ways to do this, ultimately that's going to be good for everyone. It's going to make uh, a person's personal interactions and personal relationships better and, and deeper and more intimate. It's going to help uh, people in the business world be able to communicate more effectively with their employees, with the people that they work with, with their customers, and so forth. So there's a lot of ways of using this information to help people to communicate more effectively, and and that's what ultimately led us to thinking about some of the, the very specific uh, elements of that communication and how we communicate. But again, to me, part of what makes it so exciting is this idea of being able to bring in science as a way of helping us to learn about communication, about the elements of communication, and ultimately how to turn communication into something which is very beneficial for people. When you when you look at the brain, and you said you've looked at over 150 brains, um, what are you looking for? Uh, we We've been told and I want to get this right, 
that, and I don't want to make this into a science experiment because we have a lot of people on the, on the line who are not interested in this, but sure. they say the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is where a lot of this activity is occurring. What, what is your finding? And where, you know, kind of where in the brain is this occurring and, and what does that mean to the average person who is trying to live a healthy and positive life? Well, you know, focusing on the communication piece, uh, you know, part of what we look at are the parts of our brain that are involved in communication. And, you know, communication is so much more than simply words, although that's certainly a very important part of it. So you mentioned, for example, our frontal lobes, the dorsolateral uh, cortex. Well, that's part of where we generate our words. So when, we, when I'm speaking to you right now, there are parts of my frontal lobe that help me to generate the words that I'm speaking to express the ideas that I'm thinking on the inside. Now, there's other parts of our brain that help us to receive words. So for the listeners out there, they're using a different part of their brain, a part of their brain that is actually along the side of their brain called the temporal lobe that helps to hear the words that I'm saying and, and based on the languages that they learned as a child can begin to understand what it is, what words I'm using and how it's constructed into a sentence. But there's a lot of other parts of language. There are the emotional aspects of language, and this is a huge part of language. So as people listen to what I'm saying, they can hear my voice go up or go down or maybe get a little bit more solemn if I'm talking about something very serious. And by, li- by listening to all of those different aspects of language, then they can actually better understand what it is that I'm trying to say. And in fact, Uh, Parts of how we understand emotion have to do with the emotional centers of our brain, a part of our brain called the limbic system. So we begin to apply all of these different parts of our brain as we begin to communicate both in terms of what we express as well as what we receive. And, of course, there's a whole loop. So as if I'm having a conversation with somebody, I hear them saying something to me. Uh, Maybe it's somebody who I work with and they're telling me about a problem. Well, I'm listening to them. I'm trying to understand what the problem is and I'm probably trying to understand how bad the problem is. If, they're, if it's just something minor, well, there's probably not a, a lot of emotion in their voice, but they're at least explaining to me what the issue is. If they're very upset about something, I'm going to understand it in a much different kind of way. Now, I respond. So my, my frontal lobes kick in and say, okay, well, let me, maybe I want to make them feel comforted if I sense that they're very upset. Maybe I want to just address the, the, the actual specifics of the problem. And so all of these different things are, are swirling around in my brain and the brain of the person who I'm talking to. And the question is, can we use scientific information to help us to better figure out the way to communicate? And, and you, you mentioned the frontal lobe, and let me just come back to one really important point. One of the, one of the key elements of uh, what Mark Waldman and I have referred to as compassionate communication. So one of the things that has been very clearly shown in science has to do with something called working memory, and it involves our frontal lobes. And this is the, the, the things that we can remember and, we, and our brain can work on in the immediate moment. Well, it turns out that our working memory can only hold about four or five chunks of information at any one time. That it equates to about 30 seconds worth of information. So the bottom line is, is that if I'm speaking to somebody about a problem and I'm going on and on and on for, you know, 20 minutes about a whole issue or a whole problem without even letting them respond, well, their brain just can't hold on to all of that. And so part of what uh, is a critical element of, of being able to communicate effectively is to be concise and to be specific 
and then to pause and to wait for the other person to respond. So, for example, one of the key elements of compassionate communication is to speak slowly, to speak clearly, and to speak for only about 30 seconds at a time so that the person can actually understand what you're saying, take it in, and respond, and then you can respond back to them. So this is how we start to use science as a way of helping us to communicate more effectively. So that's all really uh, fascinating, and and I I think for both of us, for Kathy and I, and as I'm sure for you, Dr. Nubaz, even now we're saying, oh, I should slow down a little bit so that people can, you know, really receive uh, what's, what's going on. Um, and that's, like, that's exactly right. In fact, we cite specific data that has shown that as people reduce the speed of their language in terms of words per minute, the slower you go, the more a person can retain and can hold on to. So absolutely, you know, and again, the problem of always, always is, that, especially when we get into the kind of a contentious interaction with somebody, uh-huh. is that we go on and on and on, and we, we raise our voice, we raise our pitch, we, we make it louder, and we make it faster because we want to get our point in. And therefore, trying to slow it down, making sure that the person has heard us, those are the key ingredients of, of effective communication. Well, one of the things that I think happens in, you know, in, mm-hmm. is actually after I read this in your book, my wife and I, we tried this. We said, all right, let's just talk for, you know, for 30 seconds and how many chunks we can get at. Um, so... And, and it was a little challenging. So when you encourage folks, um, then after the 30 seconds, the pause, is it just, it, one is to let it sink in, um, but then what happens if the other person kind of steals the conversation and kind of takes it elsewhere in that pause? Well, right. Well, you know, part of what we, we strive for in the ideal scenario is if both people are trying to practice the compassionate communication because then what you can do is try to, reinforce the other person uh, that, okay, you know, you've now spoken for 30 seconds or, 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 or longer, um, can you finish your point and then allow me to think about what you said and respond. So sometimes you can just engage in that. And this also, again, grew out of our uh, studies on meditation, where we actually try to get people into a kind of meditative state so that it encourages you to speak slower and to speak in a briefer period of time, and to be aware, uh, be mindful, as we always say, uh, of the amount of time that you are actually speaking. So that's one way of doing it. Um, Now, of course, we also could tell people that you can speak mindfully even if the other person isn't. Um, Sometimes that winds up meaning that you have to let that other person go on a little bit until you have a moment where you can say, well, you know, is it okay if I could come in and, and tell you something about my response or my feeling of what you're saying? And, uh, and then at that point, using the approach that we're talking about of speaking slowly, speaking calmly, um, speaking relatively briefly to get your point across uh, in, a, in a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, th- th- this doesn't always work in every scenario, especially sure. when, when there are very high emotions um, in, in play. But to the extent that we can get people to feel a little bit more calm, uh, that can be very helpful. And interestingly, one other one other answer to your question is that our brains often resonate with each other. So if you and I are having a very heated conversation, part of what makes it heated is this, this sort of the cycle that you and I get, get caught up in. So you start raising your voice, I start raising my right. voice, you raise your voice a little bit more, I raise my voice a little bit more, and on and on we go. Whereas if I were to sort of 
diffuse that situation by taking a step back, uh, giving you know, even allowing for a little bit of silence in the in the midst of the conversation, speaking slowly, you know, being very clear and being brief. Then your brain is going to start to calm down, uh, speak more slowly, speak more calmly, speak more briefly. Uh, and in that regard, um, be able to ultimately engage in that conversation more effectively. But but it isn't that you're just going to flip a switch and then suddenly everybody's speaking in the right way. Sometimes it is hard, and sometimes it can be a real challenge when people are particularly upset. Um, that, you know that that is something that can can be difficult for people. But if you kind of keep working with it and keep working through some of the other aspects, especially in terms of your facial expressions and your body language, mm. then that can really help to calm people down. You know, that's what I was going to just say a few seconds ago, and I should have been listening instead of trying to speak, (laughs) is that uh, it fascinates me, um, Dr. Newberg, that in working with both corporate America and our special forces and flag officers who work with special forces, when I do a brief at the Pentagon uh, or uh, any of our organizations that, that work with our military and paramilitary, whether it's um, the Bureau or uh, yeah, Quantico, whatever. The, the idea here is they speak in very short, very punctuated, very specific, but not clear acronyms. And mm. once they have their language understood, of course, it's, it's very quick and easy. But, you know, when they have these comms, they take the empathy out. It's almost robotic. Right. And it's, it's supposed to be understood that it is not necessarily your choice, right? I'm giving you a clear, concise, specific request, or I'm delivering information in a clear, concise, specific way. That empathy, that quote-unquote compassion, however, is removed. And, and over a period of time, as you can imagine, when somebody learns how to communicate like that, they take it into their civilian life and they right. take it into their post-military profession. Right. And it creates a trust issue for them because even though they're being authentic, transparent, and following the model, that, that compassionate tone, that empathy is somehow wrung out of them. Can you talk to that a little bit and, and sure. how, you, how you would handle that? Because what I do and what Relly does is we teach them about it through emotional intelligence. Once, once they understand that they have to increase their empathy, increase their flexibility, increase these areas of what we would call reality checking in, in terms of their social responsibility, which is very high on, on most of these uh, folks' assessments, how, how, how would you approach that? What kind of exercise might you share that would be helpful? Well, even before I, I get to the exercises, I mean, part of it, it, it makes so much sense based on how we understand what the brain does. Um, there's a cute phrase that neurons that fire together wire together. And what right. that essentially means is is that if you do anything, any particular practice, whether it's how you hit a baseball or how you communicate, the more you do it in a particular way, the more those neural connections form, and as they become stronger, other neural connections can become weaker. So in your very specific example, uh, if they are used to communicating in a very non-emotional, very targeted kind of way, 
then the neural connections that support that are the ones that are going to form. And as you said, the problem with that is is that uh, ultimately, if they do it long enough, then the emotional areas of the brain that perhaps at one point you know, were connected to this whole process become less and less connected. They become really disconnected from their emotional, uh, empathic, compassionate responses. So uh, it's, it, it, it explains the problem. Now, you know, in turning to your question of, so now what do we do with that? Well, you know, the one good thing about the brain is that neurons that fire together wire together. So if you begin to engage certain practices that help to bring back emotional responses and help to reattach the emotional responses back to the language that people are, are expressing as well as listening to, um, then their brain can adapt and change and it can, and it can work. So obviously, you know, you've had tremendous success of being able to bring that into people um, who had, had lost it and it can be brought back. Uh, and that when it comes to the specific kinds of practices, um, there are certainly a variety of different types of spiritually related practices and meditation-based practices that can be very, very helpful at helping people to reconnect with those different emotional processes. Now, sometimes it's just being aware of emotions that have been suppressed. So sometimes a practice like mindfulness meditation, which essentially just allows a person to rest with their own thoughts and feelings and says it's okay to have those feelings and it's okay to express those feelings. Something like that can be very helpful and very useful. Sometimes if a person truly needs to reinvigorate, so to speak, the compassionate side of themselves, practices like loving-kindness meditation uh, or other types of positive emotional types of practices where a person literally brings forth in their mind positive feelings, feelings of uh, warmth, compassion for loved ones, for friends, for colleagues, uh, sending positive thoughts, feelings of gratitude, forgiveness. You know, it depends a little bit on what the individual is, is truly missing from the process. But all of those different kinds of, of meditation-based practices where the person keeps coming back to them uh, and utilizes them, they now begin to establish a new set of connections in the brain and bring that connection and bring those emotions back into the communication process. So uh, it's through those kinds gonna, of practices that it can happen. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more about this right after the break. Andy, you are amazing, and it's such a joy to be talking with you. Please, don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence? so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? 
do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Andrew Newberg. Yeah, you can reach him for more information at www.andrew.com. Newberg, N-E-W-B-E-R-G dot com, andrewnewberg.com. And then, uh, Dr. Newberg, one of the things is we're talking about this, there's so much to talk about, but so this idea of uh, neural resonance and how we're able to pick up that, maybe you can speak about that, but then I think what happens, as you're saying, the part of the brain that's listening, when someone gets irritated or anger, uh, angry, kind of what happens and how that can be a disconnect for being compassionate and for being the, you know, the leader that you want to be. Sure. Well, you know, again, we within our brains, we have what are referred to as mirror neurons, and they basically reflect what another person is doing or, or saying uh, or, or expressing. And so when someone comes at us in some kind of uh, very aggressive way, then our own brain starts to respond aggressively, and we turn on our emotional centers. We talk about areas in our in what's called our limbic system. Our amygdala lights up. And we start, we, we, we feel that anger inside of us, and then it starts to well up, and we respond with that, you know, some degree of anger back. Um, and that, that's part of how we, we wind up resonating in kind of a negative way with somebody. Uh, and, and of course, the problem is, is that as those emotions run high, 
uh, when your emotions uh, and the emotional parts of your brain are turning on, then it actually, it, it literally shuts down, uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier in the program, our frontal lobe, which among many of its important functions, helps to regulate our emotions and helps to calm us down and helps us to think more empathically and, and helps us to think about what other people are feeling and so forth. So uh, it actually is shut down by that angered, um, you know, uh, very highly charged kind of state. Whereas if we can get to a more calm, mindful, compassionate type of state, a more a state in which we are trying to work with the other person, then that activates a different set of structures in our emotional areas of our brain and including our frontal lobe. And it gets our brain thinking and feeling more compassionately that allows us to communicate more effectively uh, what about those kinds of feelings, and, and it ultimately leads to a much more intimate kind of conversation. But but this neural resonance is something that can uh, certainly happen, and uh, and it can happen in both directions. I mean, we can become very resonant in terms of the anger, or we can become very resonant in terms of creating a good communication and an intimate level of communication. In fact, uh, some brain scan studies have shown that when people are really having a great conversation, their brain is literally anticipating what the other person is going to do or say, and they, we see similar kinds of activity in both areas of the brain. Both areas, of, both both brains look similar in terms of their patterns of activity when the person is making that kind of connection with another person, and that ultimately leads to uh, a far more intimate and a far more compassionate perspective to take with with each other. When you when you are talking about uh, these mirror neurons, and, and Relly and I have talked about them for many many years now, we also know, and I would just love your comment on this, that the heart, right? We have, we've all talked about heart math over the years, and they're you know wonderful software products, but mm-hmm. the heart acts like a hertz, right? It puts out. This is why we can measure EEGs and, and EKGs. Uh, right. The heart puts out a hertz, a megahertz that can be measured. So when you're thinking about how the brain operates and the heart is operating, are you of the mindset that the brain is engaging the heart or the heart is engaging the brain? Well, that's a great question. Um, and the answer is, is yes. Um, the answer to, to both. Uh, there's, you, there's certainly a, a deep and intimate interconnection between our brain and our body. And so our brain feels what our body is is doing and and how it's responding, and our body responds to what our brain is doing. So, you know, if you start thinking at night about some big presentation the next day, uh, what happens? Well, your, um, your, your emotional systems of the brain kick in and then something called the autonomic nervous system that regulates your heart rate and your blood pressure and your respirations, that kicks in. And so you start to breathe a little bit quicker and your heart rate goes up and it makes it difficult to fall asleep because your body is now responding to the anxiety that you feel uh, inside in, in your head, in your brain. On the other hand, um, your brain takes cues from your body. So if you feel your heart rate Starting to, if you feel your heart starting to pound, then your brain actually kind of interprets that this is something that uh, is pretty important to you, or maybe you're getting upset about something or anxious about something. And in fact, uh, a, a very commonly used treatment in, in, in the medical field for people who have very severe anxiety disorders, especially performance anxiety, is to give them what's called a beta blocker, which essentially just 
starts to slow your heart down. And so as you realize that your heart is slowing down, you say, oh, okay, I guess I'm not really that anxious. And then your brain starts to feel less anxious about it. So uh, very much so the brain and the body are intimately connected and they they play off of each other uh, in both ways. I mean, you can kind of go in either direction in terms of how our brain ultimately, our brain and our body ultimately respond. And, and when you start to think about our health and well-being, that's why it's important to think about both your brain as well as your body's health. So the, all this stuff is, there's so much to, to talk about here as we're, we're talking about this. And I want to make sure that, you know, at least our listeners get um, some of your strategies. And maybe it would be worthwhile to just, you know, may read through some of the strategies, you know, about um, how these words can change your brain, and then we can kind of zero in on some more information about them. Well, sure. Well, you know, we talk about, um, as you mentioned at the beginning, these uh, sort of 12 steps that we talk about um, that have to do with how we communicate with each other. So, um, and we've, we've covered some of them to some degree. I mm-hmm. mean, I think part yeah. of it is, is our own reactivity, and that's where a practice like right. mindfulness can be very, very helpful, uh, trying to find some way of keeping ourselves relaxed, calm, uh, as we engage with another person can be very, very helpful. And as we take people through the Compassionate Communication Program, that's part of what we start off with. We get them into a calm state. We get them breathing slowly. We get them into a bit of a meditative type of state. And by doing that, what we're trying to do is cultivate a sense of positivity, a sense of inner calmness and peace that the person can carry with them into the, into the actual conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, part of what we also remind people about, and, and we haven't spoken a whole lot about uh, on the program so far, is all of the non-verbal cues, all of the non-language-related communication, and that has to do with our facial expressions and how we, how we manage what we, how we use our face and the kind of facial expressions that elicit a sense of calm, a sense of trust, as opposed to uh, various facial expressions that elicit a sense of anger or, or, or uh, discomfort. Um, so we, we ask people to really focus in on those different kinds of, of um, body uh-huh. and facial expressions that are so much a part of our language. In fact, uh, re- the research has actually shown that almost, uh, you know, as much as 75-80% of what we take from a conversation in terms of understanding right. what's going on are the nonverbal cues, are the nonverbal elements of that conversation. And then, you know, getting back to some of the things we have talked about, I mean, these are things that somebody could put into play tomorrow, uh, is taking a few deep breaths before you begin to speak, speaking slowly, speaking clearly, um, and trying to speak with a sense of, uh, of positivity mm-hmm. towards that other person, trying not to be reactive, uh, trying to listen right. carefully, listen uh, in a very intense way, we sometimes we refer to that as listen, listening deeply, um, that you really pay attention to what that other person is saying, what is concerning to them, and then respond accordingly in a way that is brief and calm and non-reactive. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's hard to sort of have me say these things and people say, oh, okay, you know, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. enact that tomorrow. It takes a little bit of time. It's something that takes some, some conscious preparation for but there, this, these, are, these are all easily doable, and to some degree, we do them from time to time. We just don't put them into practice right. enough. And, and if people can kind of uh, make a, a purposeful effort at trying to follow these basic ideas about communication, I think they will begin to find that slowly over time that those, 
those communication processes really begin to get deeper, more intimate, enhanced, and, and far more effective than they ever were before. I just want to mention one of the things, you know, that you have here that is that especially speaking warmly, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just us being more conscious about that. And you state that a warm tone of voice builds trust and intimacy, but that especially that when doctors in the medical field uses it, it doubles the healing effect of the medical treatment. So that would be just interesting to comment on because, because I think Kathy and I are both, you know, involved with the medical field and bringing this, you know, to, to not only corporate folks but to our uh, healthcare professionals. So can you say a little bit about that doubling effect? Sure. Well, you know, certainly, um, you know, as we talk to uh, our patients in the medical profession, a lot of what we say becomes absolutely essential in terms of their overall healing and their overall health and well-being. So if we elicit a feeling of calmness in them, in and of itself, that is a very powerful uh, thing. It has a very powerful effect on people by reducing their feeling, their stressfulness. Um, what you're doing is you're changing we talked about a few moments ago that autonomic nervous system. You're relaxing the body. You're relaxing the heart. Um, you're, you're lowering the amount of stress hormones that are circulating throughout the body. These stress hormones, they're, they're good and they're important when you need them, but if they're on for too long, they can suppress your immune system. They can, they can actually damage you at the level of your genetics. So um, if you are able to help to get people into a calm state, a relaxed state that's part of their overall health care plan, um, that can be very, very important and very positive for them. And, of course, I'm sure most of the listeners are well aware of, of what is referred to as the placebo effect. Well, the funny thing about the placebo effect is that so often in medicine we think about that in, in kind of a negative way, like, oh, well, that's it, it, as if it's not real. The bottom line is, is that the placebo effect is incredibly real and incredibly powerful, and so much so that, you know, when you look at thousands of research studies, the placebo effect can work in upwards of 80 to 100% of people. So when you're talking about treating someone and getting them to buy into what you're, you're talking to them about, buying into the treatment program, uh, feeling good about it, feeling calm about it, then that's going to just do a tremendous uh, amount to help them heal and help them have a better outcome. Fascinating. Mm. It, it is the whole science uh, of what's going on is fascinating. I'm here taking all kinds of notes. But, uh, you know, how can we learn more about you, uh, Andy, uh, and uh, before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to share before we uh, unfortunately have to end this portion of the program, but we're going to have you back for some exciting programs in 2017. So I want to give all our listeners a heads up to stay tuned. Sure. Well, uh, certainly uh, if anyone is interested in, in looking into more of this research, both about language as well as about uh, our religious and spiritual cells, my website at uh, Andrew Newberg, N-E-W-B-E-R-G.com, has a lot of information about uh, my books, articles, um, other information about this whole area of research, so they can certainly do that. And, uh, and I'd certainly encourage people to to, to take a look at some of these books and uh, and to see how much they can bring these practices into their lives. We try to include in, in every one of our books the practices that people can actually follow. Um, you know, fundamentally, they're not that hard to do. It's just a matter of, of, of making the effort. And, and that, to me, is what is exciting. I mean, we all have brains that are capable of, of adapting and changing and being better than we are, uh, you know, the next time. And if we can all find ways of communicating better, 
I think that's just going to have a wonderful impact uh, on all of humanity, uh, both on an individual as well as a global level. Well, thank you so much. Uh, like Kathy said, we'd love to have you back uh, because you're you know, a wealth of knowledge and we want our audience to have it. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Newberg. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to Tune Up Your Performance. You've been listening to Leadership Development News. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.